Good morning, this is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It's 9.02 a.m. Pacific Daylight Time. It's the 24th day of March, 2023. This is episode 690 of Bitcoin and Bitcoin inadvertently creates the Ripple shitcoin. Ripple commissions Greenpeace an anti-Bitcoin campaign. Greenpeace then commissions Ben to make an anti-Bitcoin sculpture. Ben inadvertently creates the most beautiful and badass Bitcoin symbol ever enthusiastically adopted. It's poetic. Giacomo Zucco opens the show, baby. Opening the show. What the hell is he talking about? <laughs> Let's just dive right in. Jesse Coughlin, Cointelegraph. <clears throat> Greenpeace war on Bitcoin unintentionally spawns badass new mascot. <laughs> Environmental group Greenpeace's latest salvo against Bitcoin is commissioning artwork to highlight its climate impact. Hmm. Instead, the art piece has been widely praised by Bitcoiners who want to adopt it as its mascot. On March the 23rd, the climate activism group partnered with art activist Benjamin Von Wong for its ongoing Change the Code, Not the Climate campaign to convert Bitcoin's consensus mechanism to a proof-of-stake model. Greenpeace revealed its art piece, dubbed the Skull of Satoshi. God, it's even got a great name. An 11-foot or 3.3-meter-tall skull featuring the Bitcoin logo and red laser eyes, a popular meme adopted by Bitcoin supporters. Smoking stacks sit atop the skull, which is made of recycled electronic waste, supposedly to represent the fossil fuel and coal pollution caused by Bitcoin mining and the millions of computers used to validate network transactions. Greenpeace's marketing effort took an unexpected turn when Bitcoin supporters expressed admiration for the art piece, with some already adopting it as a quasi-mascot. Will Foxley, the media strategy director at crypto miner Compass Mining, called the art piece badass and changed his Twitter profile picture to an image of the skull of Satoshi. Coinmetrics co-founder Nick Carter tweeted on March the 24th that the art is the most metal Bitcoin artwork to date. Yeah, I kind of have to agree with Nick on that one. Meanwhile, meanwhile, others picked apart the imagery Greenpeace chose with one Twitter user saying the smokestacks on the skull head resembled nuclear cooling towers emitting steam. Greenpeace's campaign was launched around a year ago alongside other climate groups and Ripple co-founder Chris Larson. It aims to pressure Bitcoin developers, miners, and governments, and claims 30 key entities could move Bitcoin from proof of work if they agreed to the change. No, nope, that does not work that way. It just does not work that way. 
you know, my daughter got into uh, the car today, along with my son, where I was taking him to school. And, you know, I usually keep the radio locked on <clears throat> on national public radio or public radio stations, wherever it is that I'm at, so that I can get the bullet points of, you know, enemy chatter. You know, what's going, you know, what are we going to have to deal with today? And of course, they were talking about TikTok. And my daughter immediately starts laughing her ass off. Because she's, you know, she's 13. And she's she's plugged into all this shit. She knows what the arguments are and, and what's going on. So she's not like, you know, she's not adrift, right? I mean, this this little girl reads books about the Romanovs at this point. Probably knows more about the history of the Romanov family than anybody else. It's kind of kind of amazing, really. But be that as it may, the first thing that she says is, because what they're talking about TikTok here is the, you know, it's in Congress that they want to shut it down. They want to, they want to force a sale. They want to do, you know, all the arguments and so does she. But this is specifically, they're talking, the, the news story was talking about something in the Senate going on. Somebody's arguing in the United States Congress, you know, something like that. And she goes, these people just do not understand anything at all about this. And I immediately start laughing. And I was like, oh, I go, well, well, you know, do tell what, what, what's the word on the street? And she said that what's been going around her circles is this dude, have no idea who it is, probably some guy in Congress who was asking the question to, I guess, the owner or the CEO of TikTok, because apparently he's talking to Congress, I guess, maybe the American division. And the guy asked, is TikTok going to hijack my Wi-Fi? And again, we come back to what started this small discussion, this small aside in the first place. These people don't understand anything. You know, Greenpeace, you know how many pull requests that they've put into the uh, GitHub repository for Bitcoin Core? Zero. There's no pull request that I know of that Greenpeace has made. And you know what that tells me is like, I want somebody else to clean my room. My room is dirty. I don't like the way my room looks. My bed is unmade. There's clothes on the floor. There's dirty dishes because, you know, I, I just, I'm a slob and I, I really just, you know, don't, I don't have it in me to clean up my own room. I'm not going to put any effort into it whatsoever. Instead, I'm going to lay on my bed and call out for family members to come clean my room for me. You know what that gets my children? Nothing. <laughs> nothing i'm not cleaning up your room it's your room it's your space you don't like your space you clean it up greenpeace has lifted exactly zero fingers to change anything at all about the code why Be probably because they're incompetent but mostly because this has nothing to do with changing bitcoin's code does it it has everything to do with doing what they can do to put Bitcoin into a precarious situation that Ethereum now finds itself in, complete and total centralized control over the protocol. That's it. That's all they want. They don't give a shit about Bitcoin. They don't give a shit about freedom. They certainly don't care about you. <laughs> no. But they haven't even tried. See, that my real point here is that if you wanted to have any kind of legs on this movement whatsoever, you would have spent the money to hire some coders that understand the Bitcoin protocol and that figure out a way to actually recode the thing into a proof of stake 
and then submit it as a pull request directly from Greenpeace's GitHub account. Say, so here's my, here, this is my identity on GitHub. I'm Greenpeace USA. Here's the pull request. This is the new code. You know, please merge it into Bitcoin Core. And then, you know, at least they'd have some kind of credibility. But they don't even have that. No, what they do instead is they hire a, a, an art activist <laughs> to do their dirty work for them. I guarantee you the art activist, this Benjamin Von Wong, doesn't understand Bitcoin either. I don't see any of the good sides. They only see the bad side because the bad side <clears throat> is bad for the people that are bankrolling them, i.e. Chris Larson and Ripple, and in my opinion, the United States government. They don't want this shit. I don't think that the United States government right now is in a position to do anything about it, nor is the European Central Commission on, well, the European Union, right? Those guys over there in Brussels, they've got, there's too many fires that they're trying to battle. This is one of the ways that we win because all eyes are not on Bitcoin. Amazingly enough, they have worked themselves into such a precarious situation that Bitcoin is going to continue to do what it always does, ride in the background, slip through every crack imaginable, and my God Almighty, are there big gaping cracks. And it's going to continue to erode the legacy financial system no matter what art activist you put on, no matter what scumbag piece of shit like Chris, Chris Larson you get, no matter how you corrupt the name of Greenpeace, it's not going to work. Legacy finance has a problem. The problem is Bitcoin. And Jonathan Garner will tell us a little bit more about that from Bitcoin Magazine. Under a Bitcoin standard, legacy institutions will adapt and improve. Oh, it's a hopeful tone. Thank God. <laughs> if Bitcoin were to really, really become a global reserve currency, that would mean that the United States dollar days would be done. What would our daily lives look like under a Bitcoin standard? And what would that mean for Bitcoin itself? It would seemingly mean that things would be priced in Bitcoin at the store. In other words, Bitcoin would function as a unit of account. So instead of things being priced in US dollar terms all over the world, things would be priced in Bitcoin. I admit it's still early and that this is probably a long time away, but still, it is possible even though Bitcoin is still pretty volatile, at least compared to the current global reserve currencies of the United States dollar <clears throat> and others. Contrary to what some people seem to think, my contention is that Bitcoin already is a currency. Bitcoin is a medium of exchange, which is why Bitcoin is in fact called a cryptocurrency instead of a crypto store of value or crypto gold, although Bitcoin certainly is those things as well. This isn't just science fiction either. Bitcoin is already being used as a currency in certain places like El Salvador. When Bitcoin is the global reserve currency, everyone will be using Bitcoin as a currency this way. In short, Bitcoin is money. It is a medium of exchange, store of value, and unit of account. The Bitcoin standard would mean that central banks would and should hold Bitcoin on their central balance sheets. Perhaps this would mean that central banks would not be needed anymore. But, un, but like any government agency or quasi-government agency, that doesn't necessarily mean it'll go away. Central banks 
will hold Bitcoin because it will give their countries an advantage over other countries where the central banks don't hold Bitcoin. Now, they didn't actually say that, but never ended on a preposition. <clears throat> the more free that a country is, the stronger it is against other countries. Bitcoin is freedom. Bitcoin is freedom from financial oppression. The Bitcoin standard would also mean that the bond market would be superfluous, as outlined in the Bitcoin standard, or at least most of it would be. Under Bitcoin, the economy would move from a debt economy to a savings economy. The economy would also move back to being more about production than consumption because consumption and debt don't grow economies. This means that the current system, which is not under a Bitcoin standard, is very sick, as outlined in the fiat standard. In my estimation, the Bitcoin standard would mean that the stock market would shrink with sound money. People would actually have savings, which would change the way that they invest. But that doesn't mean there wouldn't be an economy or economic growth. Again, it just means that people will, be, will use savings more than they do now. They will rely on savings instead of debt. A lot of current businesses will go out of business, but hey, that's capitalism. Some companies need to go belly up. The companies that are productive and provide value will survive. This includes companies that are involved with Bitcoin. Bitcoin companies provide value and can pay dividends in Bitcoin. The Bitcoin standard would also mean that we wouldn't have fiat credit bubbles. The current system of colossal asset bubbles and huge crashes is mainly, if not exclusively, related to central banks like the Federal Reserve. Asset bubbles aren't just some abstract idea. Instead, bubbles cause a Herculean misallocation of resources in the real economy. Bitcoin fixes this. Yes, this means, sorry, yes, this means housing prices will come down but they need to come down. Home sellers are not any more important than home buyers. Lastly, Bitcoin should eat inflation alive. Consumer prices will come down because they should come down over time. A more productive economy should bring down prices over time. Technological deflation is a good thing. That is not to be feared. Consumer prices coming down will not make me stop drinking my morning coffee because I won't delay purchases in this way. For some things, yeah, but again, technological deflation is seemingly a good thing and bad deflation is a product of the current fiat system. None of this is to say that there wouldn't be any pain whatsoever in the transition from the United States dollar fiat standard to the Bitcoin standard. There would be some pain in that process, but like a workout, it'll be worth it in the end. The elite in society will adopt Bitcoin because they will be fine. The future is a Bitcoin standard. Okay, that's the end of the article. However, I, I got a little bit of pushback here. And, and I, honestly, this pushback is coming more from people that I trust rather than my own machinations, my own neurons firing and repeated patterns. Uh, you know, central banks buying Bitcoin and holding it on their balance sheet has kind of been a trope going on. But is it a good thing? for a central bank to have Bitcoin on their balance sheet? Because the way that we think about it is that, hey, I got some Bitcoin, you got some Bitcoin, and now the central bank has got some Bitcoin. And that means that the price is gonna go up and our purchasing power with Bitcoin is gonna go up and we're all gonna be singing Kumbaya by the fire. Well, what if 
the central banks of the world become ravenous, coupled with things like Executive Order 6102, confiscated all the gold, in the United States at least. I mean, this executive orders only really apply to the, you know, to that. Um, but, oh man, I didn't get a single boost for yesterday? Oh, come, oh man, I was going to read boost after this. Oh well. Anyway, <clears throat> where was I? I'm totally distracted now. Central banks piling on their balance sheet, such a limited supply of something like Bitcoin does kind of trouble me when I think about it. Because where the as the trope goes, like I said, it's you got some, I got some, and central banks have some. But if they become voracious, do 6102 type maneuvers around the world, and they start getting more of the Bitcoin than is actually distributed amongst private individuals, then we're kind of right back to the same damn thing, right? So, you know, we got to be vigilant. I don't know how to solve that, that particular issue. You know, I wish I had an answer, but you know, the first thing that came to my head is something nobody wants to hear. We got to figure out like in here, I'm just going to posit it for you so that you can cringe along with me because once the idea formed in my head, I was like, ew. Program Bitcoin to where somehow or another, it knows it's being held by a central bank and rejects itself from that transaction to be able to happen. Nope, because that's a consensus rule change. Nope, nope, nope. You know, we keep thinking that Bitcoin fixes this, but it, that's not exactly the truth. Bitcoin plus the human spirit fixes most things, but it's a, it's a partnership. It's not just Bitcoin doing it alone. It's not like, we're sitting here in our dirty ass room asking Bitcoin to come in and fix it. No, we've got to be a team. We've got to clean this shit up together. We've got to, you know, deploy ourselves like we deploy our Bitcoin to be able to make sure that Bitcoin doesn't, I hate to say it, doesn't fall into the wrong hands. <laughs> it's like, like, like an evil supervillain, right? But that's the thing. The whole rah-rah that the Federal Reserve would put Bitcoin on its balance sheet, we probably shouldn't be cheerleading that. And in fact, we should be actively guarding against it. I, that's sort of what my opinion has become. I, I've sort of kind of changed my whole thing because I don't trust central banks at this point being able to pick their nose, much less able to functionally hold on to Bitcoin in a responsible manner. All right, let's move on. Speaking of banks, how will Bitcoin adapt to banking uncertainty? Uh, we're kind of switching, switching directions here. Bitcoin Magazine, Karen Shidlow. Shidlow? Yeah, Shidlow. We'll go with Shidlow. The recent news of Silvergate Capital, Silicon Valley Bank, and Signature Bank shutting down has sent ripples throughout the financial community. These three banks had become some of the most popular banking partners for cryptocurrency exchanges and companies, and their sudden closures left many in the industry scrambling to find new partners. Looking at the cryptocurrency industry as a whole, the closures will make it much more difficult for companies and exchanges in this space to find banking partners, including Bitcoin-only operations. With fewer options available, these companies will have to spend more time and resources searching for banks that are willing to work with them, which could slow down their growth and development. The closures could also lead to increased regulatory scrutiny of the cryptocurrency industry. 
If the closures were indeed due to regulatory pressure to stifle the growth of cryptocurrency, as some have speculated, it could signal that regulators are becoming more serious about cracking down on Bitcoin-related activities. This could lead to further restrictions on Bitcoin exchanges and companies, making it even harder for them to operate. On the other hand, the collapse of Silicon Valley Bank is a blessing for Bitcoin, according to a recent Coindesk article, which noted parallels between the ways that these, ba that these banks' failures have drawn attention towards Bitcoin with the 2013 Cyprus financial crisis, which underscored flaws in the fractional reserve system. Bank uncertainty emphasizes the point that customer funds aren't as safe in regulated banks as they have been made to believe. The they <clears throat> it only validates Bitcoin's appeal as a decentralized peer-to-peer -peer network and seizure-resistant cryptocurrency, facilitating the self-custody of funds. While it's been the norm, especially in the Western world, to feel comfortable under false pretenses that traditional financial institutions are safe and well-regulated, History continues to reveal that banks are capable of making bad decisions. Undoubtedly, this is a good form of advertising for Bitcoin. The SVB scandal has emphasized it is its intended use case to provide an alternative payment system that would operate free of central control, but otherwise be used just like traditional currencies. The Bitcoin industry still faces many challenges, particularly when it comes to regulation and adoption. Governments and central authorities have been slow to embrace cryptocurrencies, and many countries have introduced regulations that make it difficult for Bitcoin companies to operate. In addition, many individuals and businesses are still wary of Bitcoin, viewing it as risky and volatile. Uh, despite these changes, the Bitcoin industry is adapting and evolving at a rapid pace as banks face increased uncertainty. Bitcoin offers an alternative financial system that is decentralized, transparent, and open to anyone. The principles of decentralization that underpin Bitcoin offer a glimpse into a future where financial services are accessible to everyone regardless of their location or financial status, but it's clear that there is still a need for on- and off-ramps for converting Bitcoin into traditional currencies and then back again. This raises a pertinent question which will undoubtedly have an impact on the Bitcoin industry moving forward. Has mainstream banking's affairs <clears throat> or affair with Bitcoin ended before it ever really began? That's a very good question. That's the end of the article, by the way. The on and off ramp theory. This is the prevailing theory right now is that this is what's called choke point 2.0. Operation choke point. If you don't know what it is, go look it up. But it's basically just kind of shutting, I think it kind of shut down the ability for gun, uh, gun, stores to be able to use traditional, you know, legacy instruments like Visa, MasterCard, you know, banking, you know, they just, we, we can't outlaw guns directly because of the second amendment, but by God, ain't nothing in the constitution that says we can't trample on your right to transact. In the bill of right, rights, there was no set number or enumeration for a paragraph or sentence that said, we can't trample on your right to transact. You can gather, you can congregate, you can say what you want. You know, you got the, this is all First Amendment shit. But in the First Amendment, there was never the word, the ability to transact. You know, you can't cover everything when you're birthing a nation. You know, you're, when you have a baby, any, any of you out there remember when you had your children? Did you have every single thing that you needed? 
Did you have the 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 bulb that was clear, you know, to clear the uh, the nasal passages of your baby when they got clogged up? You know, the little gray bulb. Did you have that immediately? Did you know you needed it, or did you have to find that shit out later? I did. I had to find that shit out later. It was only a few hours later, <laughs> but you know, it was. The nurse was like going you do have one of these at home, right? And I'm like, shit, we got the nursery set up. We got the diaper changing station going on. We got all kinds of shit going on. Didn't have a gray bulb. <clears throat> Founding fathers, birthing a nation, they didn't have the gray bulb. They didn't have your ability to transact freely with each other in notions of financial transactions barter transactions transactions wasn't part of the gig it would have to be interpreted the first amendment would have to be interpreted that my ability to freely congregate with others would include transactions but the the wording is pretty clear in the first amendment that it did not include transactions that's a problem that's a real problem and because our financial system is so centralized and so controlled especially by people who right now are just acting very psychotic. You know, I'm talking about like, oh my God, I'm so terrified of of the thought of you being able to protect yourself with a firearm because I'm so weak, ballless, and spineless. I'm going to use my power because I'm in power to make sure that, yeah, you can get a gun, but you can't use the banking system to do it. That was choke point two, that was choke point, choke point 2.0. Same thing, except directly with something that is a financial instrument, that being Bitcoin and Satoshis. The on and off ramps are being attacked. This is my opinion. I could be wrong, but I don't think so. But here's the deal. At this point, you've got shit burning down left and right. Do they have substantial, and they being Jerome Powell, Janet Yellen, all the media, all this, do all of it together. The the apparatus that we always talk about as they, that's what I'm talking about when I say they. Do they have energy left over to not only combat what's going on in banking and its perception by normal people around the world. They want to spin that into everything's okay. Everything's just fine. And it's taking all their energy. Do they have anything left over for a really fundamentally effective attack on all the on and off ramps, especially considering how Bitcoiners act. Once one thing gets shut down, what happens? Somebody builds something else. I'm just saying, I don't think they're going to be able to do it. But, you know, I'll bet you, bet you my ass that, uh, what the hell? Oh, they're not going to let me read this? Hell, no, hold on, let me, yeah, there we go. Oh, they're not going to let me read it. I got this uh, SeekingAlpha.com article up. Let me see if I can't finagle this. Hold up. Oh, wow. And uh, somebody has already archived this page for me an hour ago. Thank you, archive.ph. That's archive.ph. Look, guys, if you run up into, you know, run up against a uh, paywall of a news article like from Barron's or Wall Street Journal or something like that, where they just still 
live and breathe and their legacy financial bullshit and can't figure out how to get a lightning node going on and or at least a lightning wallet with an address and put up a paywall with a lightning invoice QR code so that I can read something for 25 cents. I'm going to, and we are going to, and everybody else is going to continually use archive.ph to steal their shit so I can read it to you. Deutsche Bank continues to climb. Yellen calls FSCO meeting. This is written by what, Liz Keish? So I don't know how you pronounce that name, but again, this is, who's this from? Seeking Alpha, yeah. All right, here we go. Treasury Secretary has called an unscheduled meeting. An unscheduled meeting, an unscheduled meeting of the Financial Stability Oversight Council, the FSOC, on Friday, that's today, as banking turmoil persists in the United States and globally. In Brussels, European Central Bank President Christine Lagarde, the felon, told EU leaders that the euro area banking sector is strong and use the market volatility to push for a plan for an EU banking union. You want to let that sit in for a little bit? What did she call for? This is a woman who has been convicted in a French court of, what was it? She was making, uh, made possible loans to one of uh, Macron's friends while she was at, where where was she at? She was at... Europe, was she at the French Central Bank? I don't remember where she was before she got to IMF, but in either event, she facilitated an illegal loan to a friend of the president of France. She was tried and convicted in a French court. Okay, they, it's not like they, they lit, I mean, they, she served no time. Of course, she served no time. But she was still convicted of this crime in a French court. She is a convicted felon. So Christine Lagarde told EU leaders that the euro area banking sector is strong and used the market volatility to push for a plan for an EU banking union. Well, I thought they already had that with the European Central Bank. So all this tells me is they're going to tighten that shit right on up. They've got other loose ends that they can tie together. It's going to be a prison. Get out, get out, get out. In addition, German Chancellor Olaf Scholz said Friday that Deutsche Bank is a very profitable bank and there's no need to worry about its future, according to media reports. Meanwhile, Deutsche Bank dropped, stock dropped 7.5% in Friday late morning, trading in the United States as investor attention turned to Germany's largest lender, putting banking stocks squarely in focus. In Frankfurt, trading of the stock sank 11% 11% at 3.40 p.m. Uh, Central European Standard Time. UBS registered ordinary shares fell 3.9% in United States trading, pairing some of its 4.7% drop. That bank is facing pressure as it agreed to acquire scandal-ridden Credit, Credit Suisse, which suffered from accelerating outflows when U.S. Bank, Silicon Valley Bank, and Signature Bank failed. The 10-year U.S. Treasury yield steadied at 3.36% from its low of 3.29 earlier. The German 10-year government bond yield at 2.10% recovered from a low of 1.99%. First Republic Bank, which has been trying to come up with a plan to bolster its liquidity, slipped 1.9% in mid-morning trading. Um, In the U.S., KBW Nasdaq Bank Index dropped 1.6%. 
Large banks appear to be uh, falling more than regional, regional banks. Morgan Stanley fell 4.2, Wells Fargo minus 2.8, JP Morgan Chase minus 2.1, United States Bank Corp uh, minus 1.7, PNC Financial minus 1.5, Regions Financial uh, is actually the only gainer. It actually gained three tenths of a point and Truist Financial down 1.5%. Ladies and gentlemen, these banks are just, I mean, do I think that Kate BW, J, you know, JP Morgan Stanley, uh, or JP Morgan Chase, Morgan Stanley, Wells Fargo, Bancor, they're all just going to die? No, no, but they, but a lot of other banks are, and they're going to fold up. They're going to roll right up to the front doors of, of the big five banks, maybe big six. Well, fuck it. Let's, let's round it out to 10. There will be 10 banks in the United States left after all this shit's done. Big ones anyway. They will feast upon the bodies of the small regional and community banks. That's, that, it's, it's going to be a smorgasbord for Wells Fargo. It's amazing. I'm just saying. So in the midst of Lagarde saying that everything's fine, Jerome Powell and Janet Yellen telling us everything's fine. They are putting an awful lot of their personal energy into moving their mouths and manipulating their vocal cords to tell us that everything is fine. I don't know about you, man, but that that kind of makes me, a, that worries me just a little bit. You know what? Let's, let's run the numbers. CNBC futures and commodities. Let's start with the trending now panel on the right hand side. Count them one, two, three. The first trending, number one trending, number two trending, and number three trending are about what? Deutsche Bank. Number one trend Deutsche Bank shares slide 11% after a sudden spike in the cost of insuring against its default. Those are credit default swaps. Remember, if you haven't watched the big short, watch it. 10 times because it's going to take that long for you to fully grasp what this shit is. It's not because you're dumb. It's because it's so freaking insane that you have to watch this thing three times to get it through your head that yes, they are actually doing this shit. Credit default swap against the mortgage backed securities or at least against the, the, where the institutions that the instrumentations were held at is sort of what the CDS really did. It didn't guard against mortgage-backed securities themselves. No, no, it was guarding against the like Morgan Stanley or Lehman Brothers or Bear Stearns. If if you had CDSs against that shit, man, people would pay anything, anything to get those so that they would be able to somehow or another get the hell out of their positions of these banks as they just went, they just burst into flame. And the same thing happened right before shit went down. The prices of CDSs started to skyrocket. People were like going, shit, this is going down. We've got to get, we've got to get protection. We've got to buy these insurance policies, these CDSs, these credit default swaps. We got to get them now. And like everything else, if there's a limited supply of something, and I'm willing to pay more than you because it's more important for me to have the CDS than I'm going to bid that price up. 
the CDSs are spiking right now, ladies and gentlemen. Number two trend, stocks fall after Deutsche Bank slide raises more banking sector concerns. And number three, Deutsche Bank is not the next Credit Suisse. Analysts say as panic spreads. It's fine. Deutsche Bank is strong. It's a very profitable bank. Yep. Believe these people at your own risk. Oil down 1.76% today. West Texas Intermediate trading at $68.77. Brent North Sea down 1.75% to $74.58. Natural gas trading up 2.37%. It's like it goes in the opposite direction. It's so weird. $2.20 per thousand cubic feet. Gasoline is down 0.85%, down to $2.58 per gallon. Uh, shiny metal rocks having a bad day. Gold down 0.4% to $1,987.90. Silver is the only winner, 0.15% to the upside. Platinum down 0.84%. Copper down 1.4, or no, sorry, one and a quarter. And palladium is the biggest loser, 2.15% to the downside. Uh, ag mostly up. Biggest winner, wheat, 3.06% to the upside. Uh, biggest loser today is cotton, 1.66% to the downside. And now we get into indices. Dow down a third of a point. S&P down a third of a point. NASDAQ is down two thirds of a point. And S&P mini is down almost a third of a point. My God, oh my, it's just a freaking bloodbath out there. Thankfully, we have Bitcoin, which is at $28,001.97. And that's after 480,000 BTC have changed hands in the last 24 hours. Average transaction value, 1.7 BTC. Median transaction value, 0.015 BTC or $425 which is much higher than it has been as of late. Block times are still very, very low. And that's important. Okay, so we're at eight minutes and 19 seconds. This is according again to BitInfo charts. But we had a difficulty adjustment yesterday, right? And that means that it should have made it go to 10 minute block times. However, we've had a 5.56% increase, no, I'm sorry, a 12.72% increase in hash rate. We are now standing at 402 exahashes per second. Oh, just to get, uh, let's do the fees too. Uh, 0.25 BTC taken in fees on a per block basis, 42.97 BTC taken in fees. Overall, in the last 24 hour period, haven't seen it that high in quite a while and shitcoin indicator doge it's just moving sideways 7.5 united states pennies so that pretty much tells you what the rest of the shitcoin market is doing you don't really have to worry about it past that now and you know i'm just going to do this already mempool.space we'll go to <clears throat> clark moody dashboard 540.1 billion dollars of market capitalization is 4.05% of gold's entire market crap market crap let's leave it there 14.0 ounces of shiny metal rocks you may buy with your one bitcoin of which there are 19,326,868.21 of 5,434.9 of those are in the lightning network valued at 151.9 million dollars US 
That's being run over 16,354 nodes that we understand or, can, or rather can see. And all those sport 75,315 public payment channels that we can see and 67.0% of all of it's being run over TOR's 11,623 related nodes. Now, here's where the disparity always occurs. Clark Moody Bitcoin has transaction number at 37,822, waiting on 70 blocks to clear. Let's go to mempool.space. No, mempool.space's mempool looks like it has 239 blocks to clear, holding 64,000 transactions. The minimum, or the, rather the no, no priority. This is just to not get kicked out of the mempool is 10 Satoshis per V-byte. The mempool at 300 megabyte, the standard default size of, the, of a mempool as you spin up your own node is always 300 megabytes. And unless you change it, it stays that way. So in standard mempools across the world, everything under five Satoshis per V-byte is being ejected. Low priority transactions going for 22 Satoshis per V-byte. That's 86 cents per your normal transaction with SegWit. Medium priority is 26 Satoshis per V-byte. High priority is 29 Satoshis per V-byte. So pretty tight trading range between low and high priorities. Your highest priority, you're going to be paying about a, I don't know, about a buck and a quarter to get that shit done. Now, going back to the rest of the dashboard, we have an estimated difficulty change occurring on April the 5th, and it's already standing at 13.3%. That's a double-digit rise in difficulty adjustment. That's massive. So I don't know who the, I don't know where the hell all this hash rate came from, but it's clear that people are turning on their machines hand over fist. Maybe it's because they're tired of waiting or they're or they're scared about what's going on with choke point 2.0. It could be any number of things, but a whole shit ton of hash rate came online almost immediately as if to completely laugh in the face of Satoshi's skull. <laughs> That's going to do it for the weather report. Welcome to part two of the news that you can use Binance employees allegedly help customers in China bypass KYC controls. Tell me this isn't coordinated. Tell me this isn't coordinated. Savannah Fortis is going to tell us why this is coordinated. Actually, she's not going to do it. She's going to have a sentence in this piece that is going to tell you why this is coordinated. Cointelegraph, let's get into it. Binance, the world's largest cryptocurrency exchange, has made significant efforts to be a leader in transparency in the industry since the FTX scandal. However, a new report claims that Binance insiders are allegedly helping users bypass security protocols. Here it is. Here it comes. According to a CNBC investigation, employees and volunteers at Binance have allegedly been aiding customers in China to subvert the exchange's Know Your Customer controls. CNBC, they did an investigation. What is CNBC? It's the corporate NBC news channel. It's where Jim Cramer lives. 
It's where the money honey walks around, or at least she did for a long time before I guess she got her gig on another network. I, I'm, I'm not exactly sure how that worked, but no, this is, this is where you see like whatever the Torrentelli screaming from the trading pits in Chicago or New York or whatever. CNBC is now right, has now jumped on the Bitcoin bad for world train while the banks are burning down, while legacy financials are, are just disintegrating in front of our eyes. No, no, no. Please listen to CNBC who says that their investigation revealed that the largest exchange on the planet for cryptocurrency is engaged in illicit activity, just like Block is, right? The Hindenburg Report and the Block and the Satoshi Skull coming out like late yesterday and Greenpeace and all that. You're telling me this isn't coordinated. I don't believe you. The report points to Binance's official Chinese language chat rooms in which more than 220,000 users were registered. There, users are reportedly able to access shared messages with techniques to bypass the exchange's KYC residency and verification protocols. These messages allegedly stemmed from accounts that were identified as employees of Binance or trained volunteers who go by the title Angels. <laughs> techniques shared included forging bank papers, attesting false addresses, and other simple system manipulations. A Binance spokesperson is reported as saying, quote, <clears throat> we have taken action against employees who may have violated our internal policies, including wrongly soliciting or making recommendations that are not allowed or in line with our standards, end quote. <clears throat> The co-founder of Binance, Shang Peng Zhao, who is usually active on social media, has made no comment at the time of writing. Zhao previously took to Twitter to denounce rumors spread on the Chinese WeChat platform. A Binance spokesperson responded to Cointelegraph saying that the company is launching an internal investigation according to the KYC rumors. The development surfaces while China continues to implement a strict ban on cryptocurrencies, which began in 2021, with crypto exchanges outlawed in 2017. Chinese users evading KYC rules to access Binance could face repercussions if discovered. Some have called on the Chinese government to reconsider the crypto ban, though regulators have not budged. Well, they won't. Meanwhile, Chinese officials continue apace with plans for a central bank digital currency, the digital yuan. Recently, millions were spent on adoption efforts. How much you want to bet the people that are uh, the alleged Binance uh, employees are actually government spooks? Yeah, it's conspiracy theory. I have absolutely no backing for it, so take everything that I say with a grain of salt. But I don't know. This, if this has been, you know, th these chat rooms have been open for years, and it's just now. Just oh, we just discovered it just now. Bullshit. I don't believe you. This is a coordinated effort because they're scared. We are firmly 100% into they fight you phase. Now is when they fight you. They are fighting. What's so great about it is that like the American Revolution, it's becoming, it's coming at the best time ever. Why do I say that? Look back what happened in, at, at the American Revolution. Our, our, we're taught in school as Americans that we were so badass. And I'm not saying that we weren't, but we were so badass 
that we completely destroyed the British army? These are the colonizers of the, of the new world, dude. They knew exactly what they were doing. The British have been at war since Britain was Britain, right? I mean, you know how many times they've been at war with France? And I'm talking like King Arthur days. Yeah, they know how to handle themselves. They're not idiots. And yet we're to believe that we wiped the floor with their ass simply because they were on a different kind of landscape. May I remind you, they basically wiped the floor with everybody in Australia, India, everywhere else that they went. The sun never set on the British Empire. And yet you're telling me that the ragtag band of what were to soon become Americans were able to completely demolish the British effort to get regain control of the colonies? Bullshit. Here's what really happened. They sent the, their second or possibly even third stringer to the United States to put this shit down because they thought that that was the easier, that it, was, it wasn't going to be that difficult. Meanwhile, their first, you know, their first string team and second string team were trying to quash what the hell was going on in India. India didn't want to be under British rule either. And they had other colonies that were uprising too. They were real, they had a lot of shit on their hands. It sounds to me like a lot of stuff was all on fire all at the same time. And they sent their third stringer out to the United States to put that down. And we wiped the floor with his ass. And Britain couldn't do anything about it because they were too much engaged in the India trade. There was a lot of money that they had all, I mean, there was a lot of money coming out of India. Sure, there was a little bit coming out or a lot coming out of the United States, but they didn't have the decades and decades and decades and decades of trade out of America like they had with the whole thing going on in India and the rest of their empire. That was money in the bank. And their bank started burning down. And then all of a sudden, the ragtag soon-to-be Americans took the upper hand and wiped the floor with the third stringer they sent in. In our case today, the third stringer is who? Greenpeace, USA, Ripple, and Chris Larson. (laughs) It's CNBC launching investigative reports. It's Hindenburg launching their own investigation. And all of it is centered on making sure the US dollar can't be put into Bitcoin and can't get back out of Bitcoin. That's the... That's the entire point of choke point 2.0. And it's coming exactly as it came to Britain. They're going to lose and we are going to win. I just want to make that clear, not bagging on us as Americans for, I'm just saying that if it had been the case that none of the banks were burning down for Britain around the time of the American revolution, they would have sent the first, second and third string in and they would have wiped the floor with us. That's what would have happened but they were a little preoccupied. Who's preoccupied right now? Ask yourself that question and then put a great big ass smile on your face. Now, let's get into this. This one's a little bit long, but I think it's important. It's from the Bitcoin Policy Institute. And it has, for me, it's rather interesting because its um, title is, In an attempt to stop CBDCs, 
United States states are rejecting seemingly pro-Bitcoin legislation, which kind of flies in the face of some of the things that I've been telling you about Ron DeSantis and what's going on in Texas. So let's, let's see what's going on here. Now, this was released a couple of days ago, two days ago. It was written by Yael Ozawaski. Sorry if I butchered all of your names there, but I just, I can't. I, I don't know how to do it. In either event, let's start. In dramatic fashion earlier this month, South Dakota Governor Christy Noem wielded her red-hot branding iron to stamp her veto on a bill that she claimed would open the door to the risk that the federal government could adopt a central bank digital currency. Her performance was celebrated in many conservative and cryptocurrency circles, including many in Bitcoin, and it even won her a cheeky appearance on Tucker Carlson tonight. Quote, they want to change the definition of money so that it cannot include cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin, she said, in addition to her fears that it would enable total social control of Americans' lives by introducing a backdoor for a CBDC. In Florida this week, Governor Ron DeSantis went one step further by proclaiming his administration would outright ban CBDCs, foreign or domestic, in order to thwart a weaponization of the financial sector. While we should never discount a sitting governor fighting for economic freedom or mentioning Bitcoin, there are questions to ask about what these bills could mean for Satoshi's invention and the looming presence of a CBDC. It needn't be stated here, but central bank digital currencies would be indelibly harmful to economic and personal freedoms. And thankfully, the Bitcoin Policy Institute has a healthy archive of articles that both examine and reiterate this reality. But considering two rising GOP stars and rumored presidential hopefuls are using their state executive authority to presumably quash CBDCs, it's worth examining what they're specifically addressing. In the case of South Dakota, while the governor's rhetorical response reflects well on her political judgment, this proposed bill does not, unlike the governor and others claim, tilt South Dakota towards a CBDC purgatory, nor does it restrict Bitcoin's adoption. It's actually bullish for Bitcoin. How this misunderstanding has metastasized through political discourse from state governors to Bitcoin-friendly congressmen deserves its own deconstruction, but I'll leave that to others. The bill in question, based on an update to the Uniform Commercial Code, not only expands definitions and protections for Bitcoin, but also creates a legal mechanism for recognizing self-custody and for the protocol's inclusion in traditional lending, insurance, and commercial transactions. In a sense, it's an upgrade to existing commercial law that would allow Bitcoin to be used as collateral for all future financial contracts. It's not your keys, not your coins in commercial law. Not only would this bill protect your Bitcoin in any commercial transaction, but it would also better define and protect ownership of your Bitcoin in a bankruptcy scenario like FTX, Voyager, or BlockFi. For DeSantis, his critique is more targeted, stating he'd include a provision in Florida's commercial code to outright ban CBDCs. To have CBDC bashing as the latest litmus test for conservative politicians politicians is indeed revolutionary and from the point of view of individual and economic freedom that bitcoin provides is a positive phenomenon but why is the battle being played out in rudimentary state commercial codes that have nothing to do with central bank digital currencies that requires some background 
The bill, Governor Noam vetoed HB 1193, takes the bulk of its language from Article 12 of the Uniform Commercial Code, a model policy I analyzed in my previous review of Bitcoin policies at the state level. The Uniform Commercial Code is a template of comprehensive laws and policies that govern commercial transactions, private trade between companies, individuals, everything in between. It does not rewrite monetary policy or define legal tender, but rather sets the rules of games for parties who want to willingly trade. The code is meant to be used as a model bill for state legislatures in order to guarantee continuity of commercial law between states. If disputes occur between companies located in two different states, similar rules should apply to both sides adequate to provide uh, sorry, <laughs> similar rules should apply to offer both sides adequate protection and clarity. It is written and maintained by the Uniform Law Commission and the American Law Institute with input from attorneys, law professors, business associations, and other relevant stakeholders. Article 12, the most recent amendment, outlines the ideal rules and policies for the new generation of digital assets like Bitcoin, which the code calls CERs, or Controllable Electronic Records. The catch-all term is purposefully vague, and we'll see why here in a second. It aims to outline how to establish ownership or control of these assets, read self-custody, and iterates that upon establishing proper ownership, such an asset can be used in a variety of financial exchanges with another party or institution. The article also explicitly mentions that only a properly self-custodied CER, read Bitcoin, can be used in secured lending, and certain rights are conferred on that Bitcoin even if it is held in custody in an exchange or brokerage, assuming a customer purchased the right to that Bitcoin. The article also takes pains to precisely define what money is in state statutes, excluding Bitcoin and its crypto offspring. While it may not declare digital assets as money per se, it does recognize that these assets do represent a property claim, even though they are intangible assets in the eyes of the law. The main purpose of this article is to better define ownership of decentralized digital assets like Bitcoin and to facilitate its inclusion in business contracts. It does not, despite everything you've read, introduce CBDCs, restrict citizens from holding or using Bitcoin, or try to cut Bitcoin out of the definition of money. It purely provides the legal guidelines for using Bitcoin as an asset in everyday trade. The only error in my estimation, and those who actually wrote it, is that the article is too technical for most who read it, even lawmakers, and has therefore been contorted into something that it's not. It's not CBDC training wheels. It's a Bitcoin launchpad. In an article published last year on Coindesk, Andrew Hinks, an attorney and law professor who advised on the drafting of Article 12, writes that the model language provides certainty around collateralized lending and certainty as to the legal meaning of transactions of digital assets. Other attorneys who practice blockchain law and have consulted on the UCC, the Uniform Commercial Code, and who are opposed to CBDCs have also provided the exact same analysis. While Bitcoin can be a measure of value of some kind, it's not seen as money in terms of commercial transactions, which can actually be an advantage. That nuance aside, it is not difficult to see how suddenly became how it suddenly became a political virtue signal to reject this bill. So why do groups oppose it?
The only reason to mention all this legalese and seemingly complex terminology is because its implementation into state law has now become a battle cry for many different groups and not just Governor Noam. For ideological conservatives, this model bill represents a backdoor for a CBDC and for eventual eventual federal government control of economic freedom. Because the article makes a more precise definition of money, excluding Bitcoin, the assumption is that only a digital dollar approved by the federal government, such as a CBDC, will qualify as money, or even worse, a CBDC from abroad. For various commentators in crypto land and beyond, it is seen as an impediment to broader adoption of Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies at the state level for that same reason. The truth, however, is that it may actually be a boon to Bitcoin. So why is it not so bad? In August of last year, the Catawaba Digital Economic Zone, a self-dubbed Web3 Special Economic Zone, enabled by laws of the Catawaba Indian Nation of the Carolinas, became the first quasi-jurisdiction to adopt Article 12 of the Uniform Commercial Code. In their estimation, the bill updates definitions and conceptions around digital assets like Bitcoin and gives them legal footing. Quote, unlike previous attempts to integrate digital assets under existing law, the amendments define them directly within the UCC. This provides greater certainty, simplicity, and uniformity. The amendments and approved, as approved on July the 15th, also also address all the major concerns with other associated attempts, including the issues of security control, perfection, priority, and custodianship. The amendments are forward-looking and technologically neutral. And that's from the Catawaba Digital Economic Zone. If a crypto-friendly special economic zone with, with its own model policies on digital assets was so keen to adopt Article 12, can it be reasonably can it be reasonably be betrayed as a monstrosity? It has so far in popular popular commentary. In my own estimation, the answer is no. The inclusion of Bitcoin as an asset that can be recognized as held in self-custody, included in commercial contracts, and used as collateral for lending on other transactions is an advancement that we have not yet seen in the United States. By defining what precise ownership of a unique asset like Bitcoin means allows for future commercial activity while aiming to allow specific economic rights on those who hold Bitcoin. When diving into the Uniform Law Commission's analysis on Bitcoin, there's an impressive amount of detail on the complexities of multi-sig arrangements, UTXO management, and the running of nodes. Bitcoin is seen as a technological innovation, which is an important point to remember. For the definition of money, as I mentioned in a previous article, Bitcoin's exemption actually serves as a great benefit. Not being defined as money means that Bitcoin transactions are not recognized as money transmission, which would otherwise require various licensure, permissions, and legal registrations. Overall, that keeps the Bitcoin protocol outside the regulatory scope of restrictive rules that apply to legal tender like the United States dollar. It also means that in bankruptcy proceedings, which normally split assets like cash or money held in a bank account, the allocation of Bitcoin would depend on who ultimately has property rights over the coins. In the case of a bankrupt firm such as FTX or Voyager, those rights would belong to the customer 
who purchased the Bitcoin and could not be considered as company property. It may seem counterintuitive, but by excluding Bitcoin from the definition of money, it allows expanded use of Bitcoin in all commercial transactions and allows its special protection as an intangible asset. This is a delicate nuance lost in the conversation and likely reflects the splintering between those who view Bitcoin as a sovereign tool of finance and others who want to see it adopted as legal tender in the United States. In conclusion, despite this, in the political moment, it was likely prudent for Governor Noam to veto this bill, and I believe we all understand why she did it. While her understanding of the bill was flawed, her instincts were correct. The same applies to DeSantis' mission to snipe CBDCs before they ever reach Florida's shores. Commercial laws on debt and property obligations, as well as proper custody of digital assets, are complex and should be subject to rigorous debate, especially in an era of an unstable financial system and collapsing banks. Getting these rules right will make a world of difference for American adoption of the Bitcoin protocol, but we must engage honestly with these proposals rather than fall for semantics. For state lawmakers who understand Article 12's benefits for Bitcoin and who desire to politically pronounce their opposition to CBDCs, they should simply include the statement within their version of the bill. Pushed to this political juncture, we cannot fault governors and legislators for wanting to plant an anti-CBDC flag. We should remind them, however, that technical updates to commercial legal codes that would benefit Bitcoin are desirable and necessary. Ideally, states would adopt a more sound model policy that would help advance the cause of decentralized digital cash in the form of Bitcoin while forever keeping CBDCs off the table. But our work has only begun. All right, I I understand. I get it. That was a long one. But this shit's important. To boil it down, all he's saying is that, yeah, we should, we should focus more on the target and define the target before we start pulling triggers like vetoing bills. I'm not exactly sure of what other nuances this Article 12 of the Uniform Commercial Code has in it, but I'm, right now I'm kind of siding with Yale, or however you pronounce his first name. Sorry, Yale, but I just, it seems... He's making a good argument. I love Bitcoin Policy Institute. These guys, I mean, I just, it's not, I've known about them for a while, but it's just been very recently over the last few weeks that I've been really affected by their actual boots on the ground work and writings that I can actually go through and read. These guys are the real deal. They really give a shit about Bitcoin. They actually give a shit about America. They really do give a shit about you. I hope that never changes. One of these days when I learn how to do a fucking split for this podcast, I'm going to audit it. If they've got a Bitcoin or a Lightning Network wallet, I'm going to split 1% of all of anybody that, that gives me boostograms and stuff like that or streaming sats. I want 1% to go to Bitcoin Policy Institute, at least until the day they piss me off, which very well may happen. You know, never, never worship your heroes. Always get ready, ready to, to, you know, throw them off a cliff if you have to. Now, speaking of getting thrown off the cliff, Duquan has been charged and he's due in Montenegro court for an extradition hearing. 
according to AFP, I guess. Coindesk.com, written by Jack Schickler. This is a this is a small one, very small. And I have some questions. Terraform Labs founder Duquan has been charged with forgery in Montenegro and is due in court later today for extradition proceedings, according to a report by AFP. The South Korean national has been on the run following the collapse of stablecoin Terra USD, which sent shockwaves through the crypto markets last year. Quote, a criminal complaint was filed against both persons for the criminal offense of document forgery. AFP cites Montenegro's police as saying Friday, a day after Kwan and the second person were arrested in Podgorica Airport. I guess that's how you pronounce it. A court official said Kwan would appear in court later Friday, but it is unclear which country had issued the extradition request. Federal prosecutors in New York charged Kwan with fraud on Thursday, hours after his arrest. That's all there is of this Coinbase article. Or, I'm sorry, no, Coindesk. This is from, from Coindesk. And by the way, written by Christy Goldsmith Romero. Um, forgery? Not outright wire fraud and, you know, I mean, forgery. This is kind of odd. So I, I'm not sure if AFP actually has their shit straight, but maybe they do. If, if this is absolutely correct and AFP really does have their story 100% solid and correct, this is an interesting tack. Document forgery. Not fraud, not wire fraud, but forgery. So we got to ask ourselves, who on the other end of this extradition, what do they have to gain by charging forgery and not international wire fraud? It's going to be interesting to see. Uh, we'll, I'll keep you posted. Now, another short one from Coindesk. Uh, chamomile, chamomile. They named they named their daughter Chamomile. Shumba uh, for CoinDesk. El Salvador President Bukele to introduce bill that would eliminate taxes on technology innovations. President Nayib Bukele on Thursday night said that he will be proposing a bill to El Salvador's Congress eliminating all taxes on both software and hardware technology innovations. It is unclear yet if this measure will extend to Bitcoin applications, but El Salvador and its president are known for being Bitcoin friendly. And you know the rest of it. They talk about passing the law, paving the way for Bitcoin-backed bonds and First Nation to adopt Bitcoin. Now, here's his actual tweet. Naib Bukele says, Next week, I'll be sending a bill to Congress to eliminate all taxes, income, property, capital gains, and import tariffs on technology innovations such as software programming, coding, applications, and artificial intelligence development, as well as computing and communications hardware manufacturing. Michael Dell is gonna go down and open up a Dell plant in El Salvador. And if it works, he'll probably close down his Round Rock uh, facilities. Why? He ain't gotta pay no fucking taxes on this shit. Masterstroke from Bukele. Now, here's the problem. If this guy somehow or another changes the, Congre- the, the Constitution of El Salvador so that he can run again in perpetuity, then he's clearly a dictator. He may very well be a little dictator right now. Get it, little dick? Anyway, just as- that aside, right now he seems to be doing some pretty good shit for the El Salvadoran people, unless you're an El Salvadoran who is engaged in drug trafficking, in which case you're kind of fucked. He does not like you. 
and he doesn't really respect respect your rights as a citizen. Yeah, I know that's a sticky situation. You could say, good, you, you forfeited your rights to be able to, you know, to be a good citizen by trafficking drugs and, and killing people and being part of the cartel. Yeah, but what if they expand the definition of who's bad? And then all of a sudden there's precedence for him to just go round your ass up and throw you in prison. I know it, I'm torn to, you know, I see these guys with like fucking tattoos all over their head and like, you know, names of all their buddies that they've lost in the drug war and shit like that. And it's not, I don't mean anything against people with tattoos. I'm just saying that gang tattoos have a certain thing about them where you're like going, yeah, that's not somebody who just wanted to get my little pony. Right. That's not somebody who just wanted to put the playboy bunny on their back. Hey, you know, there's, there's telltale signs. And the guys that they're hauling before cameras, not guys that I'd be wanting to be hanging out with in proper, you know, in proper public. Be that as it may, it's still technically wrong to just deny somebody of their rights. But when his term is over, and I think he's got one more year left or something like that, will that, will, will what he's instituting, if this passes, will it stay in place? Who's the next president? That's my question. Will Bitcoin still be legal tender in two years? Will this uh, eliminate all taxes for coding apps and AI development and compute and communications hardware manufacturing? Will, will they screw that up? Will they wait till everybody comes in like Kazakhstan and then rug pull? You know, that's why I hate governments. You know, I mean, they're, they're talk about volatility. You never know from one government to the next what what rules of the road there is going to be. So take it with a grain of salt, but it looks like Naive Bukele doing a masterstroke by clearly, I mean, I am, I would, if I was a manufacturer of any of this shit, I would immediately be on the phone trying to figure out how much it would cost for me to open up a facility down there. I would, it would be automatic. Now, over back up to the north in Montana, how Montana stands to benefit if its pro-crypto mining bill is approved, Elizabeth Gale, Cointelegraph. The Montana Senate recently passed a bill designed to protect crypto miners operating within the state. The proposed law, which is currently making its way through the state's House of Representatives, seeks to protect both individual and commercial miners in Montana against discriminatory laws by scrapping some of the rules that have the potential to undermine their operations. Specifically, the bill seeks to protect miners against taxes on digital assets used as a means of payment. Additionally, it endeavors to permit home crypto miners, uh, sorry, home crypto miners, uh, my phone rang and it distracted me. I'm like a bird with a piece of foil. I'm like, oh, look, shiny. Specifically, the bill seeks to protect miners against taxes on digital assets as a means of payment. Additionally, it endeavors to permit home crypto miners who use less than one megawatt of energy annually to do so, except when in contravention of existing noise bylaws. Furthermore, it seeks to do away with any energy rate classification that discriminates against home crypto mining and digital asset businesses. The bill comes after years of concerted efforts by lobbyists and crypto companies to put more crypto favorable laws on the books in that state. Satoshi Action Fund CEO Dennis Porter spoke with Cointelegraph about the latest developments earlier this week. His nonprofit organization helps shape related policies by providing lawmakers and regulators with data that underscores 
the uh, benefits of Bitcoin mining. Montana, quote, Montana has a very high wind energy potential. It is ranked fifth, according to NREL. Remote wind projects struggle in states like Montana due to the need for very long transmission lines, which can get the power to the market, market Porter told Cointelegraph. Quote, mining helps solve this issue because it can be an early buyer of that power. In general, Montana has a hard time exporting its power due to being remote. Now the state can bring customers, like Bitcoin miners, to them instead. Porter said that there are two major factors holding back the crypto mining industry in the United States. The first is the misconception that mining is bad for the grid or the environment. Mining is, in fact, a powerful tool for balancing the grid and cleaning up the environment. The second factor hindering mining in the United States, according to the executive, is regulatory policies that apply to mining that fail to take into account some of its positive aspects. He highlighted the concept of grid balancing as an example. Quote, mining thrives in states which have grid balancing programs. These programs pay participants to turn down their power consumption when power prices spike or there is a lack of supply. Miners are well-suited for participating in these types of programs because mining can reduce its power consumption at the click of a button during any hour of the day, end quote, said Porter. The bill's proponents believe that, with updated legislation, Montana will be able to attract mining companies to the state, which they believe will boost the region's economy both directly and indirectly. Speaking to Cointelegraph, Montana State Senator Daniel Zolnikov, who is the chief advocate of the bill, said that the region had a lot to gain by embracing the digital asset industry. He explained that by permitting crypto mining operations to function without restrictions, Montana would potentially attract more businesses and investments from the wider cryptocurrency sector. Quote, I expect if my legislation passes into law, Montana will attract more digital asset miners who will invest in many of the rural communities in Montana, creating jobs where, that they, where they are most needed. End quote. Further quote, I hope this will also signal to the larger digital asset industry that Montana welcomes their innovation as well as new innovative companies into our state. He added, not everyone shares Zolnikov's optimism about the effects of crypto mining and what it could have, the effects it could have on small towns and communities. While the influx of crypto mining companies may result in short-term spike in development, Colin Reed, former mayor of Pittsburgh, New York, and uh, Southern University of New York economics professor, said that the mining companies generally fail to deliver on their promises of creating jobs. In 2021, the scumbag told CNBC, quote, counties and cities are enticed by all these promises of job creation, which when you look into it, and I have, well, they just don't materialize, end quote. It is also likely to cause an influx of crypto mining companies, and this could lead to energy and sustainability challenges. The state of New York, for example, has had to deal with related issues since 2018 when it experienced an increase in crypto mining firms lured by its affordable energy. The situation caused retail energy rates to skyrocket due to increased demand and compelled the New York Public Service Commission to introduce steeper energy tariffs for crypto miners to rein in the problem. Sustainable power supply issues have also emerged in states like Texas, where a considerable number of crypto mining businesses have set up operations. 
Power grids usually experience overloading during periods of extreme weather conditions such as heat waves and winter storms. This is due to the fact that the general public often cranks up their air, condi get, uh, air conditioning during these times, resulting in an overtaxed grid. The situation has, on occasion, forced miners in Texas to pull the plug on their systems in order to ease the strain on the grid. There are further examples from within Montana itself. Missoula County, responding to concerns over power consumption and pollution, has required crypto mining firms to either consume or generate enough renewable energy to cover 100% of their operations. <laughs> yeah. Montana experiences power demand weather conditions. Summer heat in the state can sometimes rise to over 100 degrees Fahrenheit, and Arctic blasts in winter can cause sub-zero temperatures. The extreme temperatures have contributed to the state having one of the highest per capita energy consumption rates in the nation. Due to mounting environmental concerns surrounding the ecological impact of cryptocurrency mining, several American states have implemented laws that place limits on such energy-intensive activities. The laws often put caps on energy usage or place restrictions on the type of energy solutions that can be utilized. Most recently, New York imposed a temporary ban on mining firms that use non-renewable energy sources. The decision was made with the aim to mitigate the state's carbon footprint following increased pressure from environmental groups. Related problems are likely to crop up if in Montana, its crypto mining bill is passed. Zolnikov addressed some of the sustainability concerns saying that Montana already has an energy mix that makes it attractive to the digital asset mining industry. And my intention with introducing and hopefully passing this legislation is to grant legal certainty for digital asset miners to continue operating in the state for the long term. Montana presently possesses an array of geothermal, wind, solar, hydro energy sources. The Missouri River, the United States' longest river, flows from Western Montana and its tributaries are also used to generate hydroelectricity. Montana's pro-crypto mining bill is set to encourage more cryptocurrency mining businesses to set up their facilities in the state. While its approval is expected to bring some positive transformations to Montana, some initial teething problems are expected, especially related to eco-friendly and sustainable energy. Presently, the state possesses a wide range of both renewable and non-renewable energy sources that can be harnessed for more energy. However, it will be interesting to see how the state attunes to emerging changes if the pro-cryptocurrency mining legislation is passed. So Montana is on deck. This is, this is awesome for Bitcoin. How will they proceed? Who knows? Who knows? I mean, we got Governor Noam. We were just talked about that shit, you know, up there in what, North Dakota. You know, this is over in Montana. You know, I'm waiting, fuck, I'm waiting for Idaho to jump in. It's not like there ain't a shit ton of rivers flowing around here that could, we could do hydroelectric power from. Washington State, eh, I'm not, not, you know, I'm on the very eastern edge of Washington State, but it's governed by the people in Seattle and Tacoma and all, you know, basically the, the everybody on the West Coast. Nobody around here likes Seattle. I guarantee that. They don't like the policies. They don't like the laws. They think all this shit is stupid and they don't want it to come here, which is why there are several counties, you know, from mid all the way over to the eastern side of Washington that are that kind of want to vote to go with Idaho. 
And guess what? They're, they're voting down in Oregon. And most of the state of Oregon, on a per acreage basis, wants to go to Idaho. Could you imagine? I mean, Idaho is set the fuck up to be a great state. If, if somehow or another this works, and I'm not sure that it will, but if it did work, and they were pro-Bitcoin, holy shit. Between Texas, the Dakotas, greater Idaho, Florida, you've got the entire fabric of the United States wrapped up into a nice little ball. I cannot wait because all this shit's going to break out before my lifetime. Now, we're going to end with this one. <clears throat> Ordinals. Yeah, you're probably just going to go ahead and turn it off. But it's happening, so we got to figure out what's going on. This is the shit that causes like 235 blocks, you know? I don't like these things. So what's going on with them? Well, ordinals fees spike as Bored Ape Yacht Club clones bloom on Bitcoin. That's right. BAYC has come to Bitcoin. Yay, I guess. Decrypt.co, Jason Nelson. Daily transaction fees for minting Bitcoin ordinal inscriptions reached a new all-time high on Thursday of 9.28 BTC. You want me to read that again? Almost 10 Bitcoin. (laughs) Around $257,000, according to a Dune Analytics report. The surge is largely attributed to Bitcoin Apes, which is a variation of the popular Bored Ape Yacht Club NFT collection that is being uh, that is being reproduced on the Bitcoin network. Uh, since the launch of the Ordinals project in January 2023, over 3.3 million dollars in fees have been paid to put images, text, and even video games on the original blockchain. Quote, Bitcoin apes follows the same logic as Bitcoin punks, where the first byte perfect image of a bored ape that is inscribed as the real one, pseudonymous NFT historian Leonidas Leonidas told Decrypt on Twitter, 8,397 Bitcoin apes have already been inscribed, and once they have minted out, over $1 million will have been spent inscribing the 10,000 exact copies of the bored ape yacht club images onto Bitcoin. Of the 466 gigabytes of data that make up the Bitcoin blockchain, Leonidas says that well over one gigabyte is now images of monkeys. For fuck's sake. Quote, in a weird way, this is actually really good for Bitcoin, Leonidas said. Every extra transaction fee that is being paid to inscribe these stupid ass apes, he didn't say that, I did, is helping to secure the Bitcoin network by giving miners an additional revenue source to supplement the block rewards, end quote. Leonidas Leonidas believes projects like Bitcoin apes may be the solution for the long-standing question of what to do after the pre-programmed Bitcoin block rewards eventually go to zero. In 127 years from now, for fuck's sake, people. (laughs) But while JPEGs are becoming more popular on the Bitcoin network, most ordinal inscriptions are text-based, according to Dune. Quote, the Bitcoin apes do not compete with the original Bored Ape Yacht Club collection, Leonidas said. In fact, several of the people I have talked to who are inscribing are big fans of the original collection and would love to hold one of the original Bored Apes someday. Why? It's fucking stupid. Leonidas said, It was inevitable that the culture behind one of the most iconic NFT collections would spread to other blockchains and that Bitcoin Apes confirms that trend. Some Bored Ape Yacht Club owners are concerned that copies of their NFTs are being created and traded on the Bitcoin blockchain. However, Leonidas 
believe such concerns are unwarranted. Quote, blockchain solved the problem of provenance for digital art, so there is no debate about whether the official Board Ape Yacht Club holders are the holders of the original and Board Apes. Anyone can verify that ownership on chain, Leonidas explained. Quote, this is just another derivative project of an iconic PFP collection that, in my opinion, just spreads the culture of the original PFP collection to even more people, which ends up driving value back down to the official holders. People are actually doing the original Board Ape Yacht Club holders a favor by storing all 10,000 images fully on chain for the first time so that they will live on forever on Bitcoin at zero cost to the official holders or Yuga. Leonidas said. While holders of Board Ape Yacht Club NFTs may not be paying to inscribe their digital collections on Bitcoin, the floor price of Bitcoin Apes is steadily rising. The floor price for Bitcoin Apes is 0 0.0101 BTC, right around 285 bucks on Ordinal's wallet. The floor price is 0.21 of Shitcoin One, which is around 380 on Ordinal's market. Board Ape Yacht Club, Ethereum, or Shitcoin One NFT in comparison has a floor price of 57.5 ETH, which is around 140, no, $104,000 on OpenSea. So the stupidity not only came to Bitcoin, it is having little babies. Okay, again, understand, we have better fish to fry than to get our panties all in a snit about ordinals. I'm not worried about it. That doesn't mean that I like them. It doesn't mean that I don't think that they may pose some kind of threat to Bitcoin. However, if Bitcoin goes down because some idiot puts a snotty-faced ape onto the Bitcoin blockchain, then Bitcoin's got bigger problems, ladies and gentlemen. I'm not worried, and neither should you. That's going to do it for the Morning Roundup. Got a joke. Dad says jokes. Do you realize that if you're sitting on the toilet at 11.59 p.m. and the clock strikes midnight, it's the same shit, different day? That's exactly where we're at. Same shit, different day. You know, 2008, 2020, 2023. It's the same shit, different day. This whole thing is burning down. Legacy, you know, banks and finance and shit coinery and news agencies. And it's all bullshit. Yeah, you know, I said it the same, same way yesterday. It's all bullshit. I don't believe any of this crap anymore. I'm completely, I'm completely bullshit free at this point. Because somebody tells me something from CNBC, I automatically go, I don't believe you. Somebody from like, you know, Janet Yellen says, hey, you know, the banks are strong. I don't believe you. Biden decides that everything is so okay that he's going to have the Ted Lasso cast, and I don't even know what the F Ted Lasso is, into the Oval Office so they can sit and chat. I call it bullshit. I don't believe him. I don't think everything's fine. Christine Lagarde says things are fine. No, I don't believe you. I don't know why anybody believes any of these people anymore. And somehow or another, they're still in power. And I think that just speaks to the apathy of the human species as we are right now, this day, this month, this year. We're not doing anything about it. We're not, we're not 
I look, maybe editing somebody's, you know, physical location from being inside a certain building to being outside in the street and possibly tarred and feather is a violence. I get that. I, I understand that. However, if, you know, what kind of violence are they committing upon us? We're, and we just leave them there. They just, AOC and the rest of the gang and Biden and, you know, and, and this all goes to Europe and, and the warlords that are in Africa. No, no, somehow or another, one guy, you know, a small group of people can really shake down, you know, I don't know, a million X times the amount of humans that they actually represent can shake them down and, and they're not worried about, you know, bad physical re repercussions happening, but it's probably going to happen. I'm just saying, I don't, I wish it hadn't have ever come to this, but I don't see how it stops. I mean, people will look at the American revolution and, and, you know, most of us throughout our childhood, we're going rah, rah. But, you know, now it's like, oh, well, you know, you mentioned the American Revolution. That's bad. It was violent. People got hurt. Oh, my God. For fuck's sake. Welcome to Earth. I don't know what to say to these people. But I get the feeling some really bad shit is going to go down. You need to protect yourself. How do you do that? Number one, get that idea out of your head and put it someplace where you can look at it and build upon it. Two, start reading some books other than fiction. I read, like, I don't have any time for fiction anymore. I kind of wish I did because I was a big science fiction buff. But now, most of my books I read are about soil. And one, but however, the one book that is about soil, but not about soil, is The Richest Man in Babylon. I, it, I can't, I cannot help but to shill the shit that I think is the most valuable things. If you don't live in town, if you're like anywhere remote out of town or there's no strictures on you being able to have chickens, springtime is here. Go get chickens and learn how to raise them. They're not hard. I promise you, if I can do it, the only way that I was able to kill a chicken I mean, and I raised them since they were chicks. I went down to Tractor Supply and I got half a dozen little cute little yellow chickies, right? And the only way I was able to kill them was wait till they were all grown up and one of them was a rooster that was causing problems and I had to kill them. I didn't accidentally step on them. I didn't overfeed them. I never underfed them. I It's easy to give them water. You just got to make sure that you have a chicken coop set up first because if you have chickens running around your yard and there's no place for them to nest that's when shit gets bad get a coop if you know how to do carpentry build one but you need a place for the chickens i also recommend getting chicken wire and some of those t-posts and fencing give them a little part of your yard they will destroy the grass but the grass will grow back and it will grow back better because the chickens do that shit to the soil right they scratch they peck they poop they do all kinds of neat stuff to the soil. It's good for the soil. But spring's coming up. If you got a tractor supply or someplace that can provide you chicks, chances are good they've got a small chicken coop. Go get one that will house six or eight. They're not that expensive. 
and raise your own chickens. Become comfortable with livestock. If you don't, if you've never, you know, grown a garden, it's springtime. It's a perfect time to learn how to grow the garden. Again, it's not hard. There are many, many people who are willing to help you do this. I highly recommend starting to listen to the survival podcast because it's not, Jack Spirico is not the guy who is beans, bullets, and Bibles. He's more about, hey, do you have extra fuel? Do you know how to grow food? I'll teach you how to grow food. You want some, you know, like you want to learn how to, you know, do chickens or, or possibly something else, you know, quail. I'll, you know, I'll help you with that. He's got mondo amounts of resources to be able to do that shit with. Leverage him and then figure out other people like, uh, I can't remember any of the names right now off the top of my head, but there are people go to YouTube, how, you know, look for homesteading. It just because you're watching a homesteading thing or a or listening to a survival podcast doesn't mean that you're going to build a bunker and immediately stock it with dehydrated food and sit on an AK-47 until the robots come and take us over. That's not the way this shit works. Think about it this way. If you can provide some amount of food for yourself and you find yourself eating it a lot and it basically costs you almost nothing to produce, i.e. it's like printing money, how much money are you not spending at the store? That's how it saves you money. You don't think about what it costs to put the garden in. You think about the fact that I'm not buying eggplants. I'm not buying beans. I'm not buying corn. Don't grow corn. If you want to, fine. But dude, corn has no business anywhere in the world right now. So I'm just saying. But like, you know, and, and chickens, eggs, all the time. I had more eggs than I knew what to do with. And you know what's great about having more eggs than you know what to do with? You can glass them. Go look up glassed eggs, G-L-A-S, like glass, you know, G-A-L-S-S, glass, like you're, you know, looking through some glasses. Glassed eggs, you glass them by putting them in a solution, I think of bicarbonate. There's instructions how to do this. You know what it does? You don't ever have to refrigerate them. You don't have to pre-hard boil them. You don't have to freeze them. You don't have to do nothing with them. You just take the egg in the shell. And if that shell is clean naturally, because you can't wash them, it doesn't work if you with washed eggs. They've got to be unwashed because there's a lining that goes over the eggshell that is provided by the chicken that's laying the egg. And it's an antibacterial, antiviral shield on that egg. If it doesn't have shit on it, some eggs will drop. If you keep your coop clean, you usually don't have problems with this. Most of the time, my eggs came out and I didn't have to do anything but brush them off. You throw them in the glassing solution, like a five-gallon bucket of this bicarbonate solution or whatever it is, and you seal the lid. And every time you get extra eggs, you just put them in there. And they just preserve. And then you pull one out. And what do you think happens when you crack it open? Like a year later, you pull a glassed egg out. And if you did it right, you crack it open. What do you think happened? You think it turned into a hard-boiled egg, don't you? Uh Uh-uh. It's just an egg. You don't even need to refrigerate these motherfuckers. This, this has been going on for well over 100 years when we figured this shit out. Have you ever heard about it before in your life? No, you probably haven't. Eggs are fine. You can keep them all. You don't have to give them away to neighbors. You can keep them all. And that'll get you through when your chicks, chickens eventually molt and they stop laying eggs for about three months. You know, and in the winter, when the sun goes down and the days aren't long, they start, they kind of stop laying. 
So you'll have their extra eggs when the, in their high egg production, you'll have those to be able to use without refrigeration, freezing, dehydrating, or anything. Just keep them in a five-gallon Homer bucket from Home Depot with a damn lid on it in, in the water solution. It's amazing. Technology is amazing, especially when it doesn't take refrigeration or any kind of electricity whatsoever. Just pure chemistry and some decent knowledge of biology. That's it. You'll learn how to do all this stuff. I mean, because honestly, I don't, I don't know how much life the legacy financial system has in it. And because everything became financialized, it all falls down. Housing prices are probably going to crash. If you're listening to me and for the last two years, all you do is look at your house price on Zillow or Zillow or whatever, because that's where you're keeping your money. That's your real bank account. I don't know what to tell you because that price is not going to go up. Maybe it will in the, in the very short term. Maybe they'll do something freakish. Maybe they'll find a way to kick the can down the road just a little bit longer. But I guarantee you the can's had enough and the road gives out. And we're there, ladies and gentlemen, we are there. If you're using your house to store your wealth, that was the wrong move. Don't do that because those housing prices are probably going to fall. And I'm not sure BlackRock is going to be able to backstop that by just continuously buying houses. We'll have to see, but we're going to have to see on the other side. This has been Bitcoin and, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.